Thank you very much to Sony, who sent me a PlayStation 5 out of release to review. When it comes to the new generation of games consoles releasing and having already released this week, Microsoft and Sony have taken wildly different approaches to what they think their consoles should be at launch. For Microsoft, the release of the Xbox Series X and Series S are about incremental improvement, rather than sweeping drastic changes. Their UI is unchanged, all of your games transfer over, and not too much is new. Games run better, they load faster, and you have really cool new software features such as Quick Resume, allowing players to keep multiple games suspended in the background at once. But overwhelmingly, my opinion of the new Xbox generation, after living with it for around three weeks, is that it's a step forward rather than something totally new. The PlayStation 5, by comparison, is a console begging to be noticed. From its huge form factor to its redesigned UI, from its new controller and showcase packing game to its brand new features, the PS5 is a console that wants to be a radical reinvention of what came before. So, after some time with the PS5 in my home to test, do I think Sony's approach works? For the most part, yes. Sony have created a new console that feels new and exciting to jump into on launch day, and definitely feels like a generational leap, but it's not without its criticisms and some missing features I wish had been available at launch. So let's start by talking about the physical hardware. The PS5 is undeniably a big console, and one that's going to be hard pressed to fit in most entertainment centres. The large rectangular design looks most pleasing and is most stable when set up vertically, but is more likely to fit in entertainment centres horizontally. Either configuration of the console requires the use of an included stand, which works more elegantly vertically than horizontally. When setting up the console vertically, you'll need to screw the stand into the base of the console, which can be a little fiddly, but does result in a sturdy setup. When placed horizontally, the stand is simply held in place by the console's own weight. If you slightly shift the horizontal console, it'll frequently come loose from the stand and need repositioning. Where the Xbox Series X sort of fades into the background of a room, the PS5, no matter how you store it, takes up space and is hard to ignore. I don't dislike its design, but it's less convenient than the Series X in practice. To put some rumours to rest, the PS5 ships with an HDMI 2.1 cable, and not a 2.0 cable as some have suggested, which would not have supported higher resolutions and frame rates that were advertised on the box. Over my time with the console, playing in several lengthy play sessions, the PS5 was consistently silent and never felt like it was running hot. The console clearly dissipates heat well, and its fans run silently. The only time I heard any noise from the console was when installing a game from disk to the solid state drive, after which it ran silently again. Next, let's move on to the new DualSense controller. The DualSense is a little larger, wider, and heavier than the DualShock 4, but keeps its general form factor intact. The controller's main two new features, haptic feedback and adaptive triggers, are the main stars of the show with the new redesigned controller. Haptic feedback is basically very precise rumble, which can emanate from numerous locations in the controller at varying intensities to mimic various sensations, 
and adaptive triggers can resist being pushed, mimicking sensations like clicking a camera shutter or pulling a bowstring. It's hard to talk about what makes the DualSense controller feel so special without talking about Astro's Playroom, the PS5's free pack-in game installed on the console. Astro's Playroom is a roughly five hour long 3D platformer. Each of the game's worlds centre around different aspects of the PS5 hardware, as well as containing loving references to PlayStation consoles, hardware and games of the past. The entire game feels like a really adorable love letter to PlayStation's past and future, and is worth playing on its own merits, but what makes it feel like a must-play title on launch day is how much it makes use of the PS5 controller's built-in speaker, adaptive triggers, and haptic feedback in combination. I'm going to do my best to explain to you the experience of playing Astro's Playroom, but honestly it's really tough to get across how impressive it is without letting you play it for yourself. The best way I can prime you for this is by saying that before I tried the game for myself, I assumed that previews I'd seen online were somewhat exaggerating the experience of using the new controller. They weren't exaggerating, it really is as technically impressive as it sounds. So let's say that you boot up a level of Astro's Playroom that's set on a beach. As you walk around the level you can feel these light footsteps alternating left to right on the controller, with the sensation alternating depending on the type of material you're walking on. Wood has a duller thud, metal has a sharper and more tinny quality, and sand has more of a sort of soft gritty feeling as you take each step. After riding down a slide into the ocean, splashing into the water, a vibration starts strong in the centre of the controller, moving out towards the edges in waves, getting lighter in intensity as it moves. Later in the level you're ice skating across a series of platforms. The vibration in your controller feels scratchy, like a single thin blade of vibration moving consistently. As you jump and spin in the air, it feels like the vibration itself is spinning in the middle of the controller, capturing the momentum of the spin. A little later in the level you're piloting a robotic frog. As you pull on the triggers to condense the frog's spring ready to jump, you can feel the triggers get more and more difficult to push and to keep held down, with a creaking sound coming from the controller reinforcing the feeling that these triggers are springs ready to be released. Astro's Playroom consistently makes use of all of the DualSense controller's features to great effect, and it's pretty magical to experience them from start to finish. I'm still pretty awestruck by a moment in a level where rain began to fall and I could feel tiny raindrop vibrations feeling like they were hitting random points on the controller's surface. I'm still not over how cool it felt to use a rapid fire gun and feel little bumps of recoil in my triggers with every shot. That all said, it's clear that at launch developers are a little unsure how best to use these new features outside of Astro's Playroom. Spider-Man Miles Morales applies a little bit of resistance when swinging around the city, and Bug Snacks replicates the feeling of a camera shutter really well, but it's not like every game is going to use these features interestingly out the gate. I am excited for the potential of this controller, even if it feels like it's a little way off being used to its fullest potential at the moment. For those wondering about the PS5's level of usable storage space, players on launch day will have around 670 gigs of usable space available, with 10 gigs or so taken up by Astro's Playroom, which can be uninstalled. At launch, SSD expansions are not supported, which is a bit of a shame, but they will be supported post-launch. Also of note, the PS5 does not feature Quick Resume, 
an Xbox Series S and Series X feature where multiple games can be suspended at once, and even resumed after the console is disconnected from power. While I was initially a little disappointed by the PS5's lack of quick resume after spending a few weeks with the Xbox Series X, I've ultimately found it's not a deal breaker for me with the system, thanks in large part to the PS5's loading times for PS5 specific and backwards compatible games alike. So let's get this out of the way. If you're loading backwards compatible games which have had no next gen patches, the Xbox Series X loads those games faster than the PS5 in head to head comparisons. Any games with PS4 Pro patches will run those versions of the games, and every single backwards compatible title I played on the PS5 successfully hit its framerate cap consistently. Games such as Bloodborne, capped at 30 frames a second, will not magically jump to playing at 60fps unless patched by their developers, but any games with unlocked framerates now run comfortably at 60 frames a second, even in their more strenuous scenes. However, when we're talking about games specifically developed or patched for the PS5, it's a very different story regarding loading times. Testing Astro's Playroom, Spider-Man Miles Morales, and Spider-Man Remastered, all three titles loaded impressively fast. From the main home screen, Spider-Man Miles Morales loads up and is ready to play in around 8 seconds, and in-game fast travel takes well under a second. The first time I fast travelled in Miles Morales, it went by so fast that I didn't realise the fast travel had taken place. The settings menu for Miles Morales even has an option to add back in loading screen animations with arbitrary waiting times, just in case it feels weird to fast travel that fast. Astro's Playroom by comparison had similarly fast loads, with the ability to skip to a specific level loading in just a couple of seconds. Waiting times are not completely gone, but they're close enough at launch to gone that it's night and day. I'm going to struggle to go back to minute plus loading times on last gen consoles after this. Next up, let's talk a little bit about the UI. When hitting the PlayStation Home button while in-game, the PS5 brings up a menu bar at the bottom of the screen, alongside a series of activity cards. The bar itself can be customised with some really nice features such as quick access to accessibility settings. The cards vary in function by game, but in Astro's Playroom for example, allowed me to see collectible progress in levels, hop to those levels on command, and watch hint videos on where to find those collectibles, a feature unfortunately locked behind a PS Plus subscription. Overall, I very much came to love the card system as a way to quickly boot up a game and hop to an objective I had partially completed. For open world games like Spider-Man Miles Morales, the feature helped me to keep track of activities to complete, and helped each session of the game feel more directed. The hint cards are really nice if you're 99% of the way to an objective, and annoyingly lost on how to finish up. The main home screen of the console is fast, responsive, and visually appealing, with the two main issues being an inability for partially sighted players to resize home screen icons, and the inability to reorganise and select manually which games and apps will appear on the home screen, rather than the default setting of showing your most recently played games. If you'd like to know more about the PS5 from an accessibility perspective, I recently published an episode of Accessibility all about the PS5 as a day one console for disabled players. In short, it's great that the DualSense controller's new features can be disabled on a system level, it sucks that PS4 controllers are not supported for PS5 games for those with custom disability controllers, 
A lack of screen magnifier support is baffling, but otherwise the PS5 does make positive steps towards software-based accessibility. One nice aspect of the PS5 settings I do want to highlight to prospective buyers is that the system features a menu all about setting system defaults. Do you have a favourite default game difficulty? Do you want to default to resolution or performance modes in games? Do you want to default first-person games to inverted controls? Do you want games to put subtitles on by default? These are all system-level default settings now, which is a really nice step forward. Having played around with the PS5 for around a week now, my overall feeling is that the console definitely feels very next-gen, with a lot of exciting potential. Loading times for dedicated PS5 software are ridiculously exciting, the new controller feels really futuristic when used properly, and everything about the console simply works quickly and smoothly. There's a couple of little annoyances, such as lacking support for variable refresh rates on day one, and the inability to store PS5 games on external media at launch. Plus, quick resume is going to be a feature I miss when I'm not playing on Series X, but overall the PS5 feels the most immediately exciting to me of the new console releases. Astro's Playroom is a fantastic pack-in title that I really hope people take the time to properly play through, and I'm excited to play a generation of games that seem to comfortably handle looking good while reliably hitting 60fps. Now I've tried the PS5, I'm gonna find it really hard to go back. This all said, I can't help but feel like, at least in part, my increased excitement day one for the PS5 over the Xbox Series X is based on available day one software. After the Series X launch largely focusing on already released games with patches, picking up a new console day one and having new experiences to play through definitely helped my first days with the system feel more exciting.